I want to ask you a question. Why do we sin? Well, you might give me different reasons. You might say, well, I'm a fallen man. Um, I have the sin nature in me. I'm, I'm, you know, bond, I'm in bondage to sin. You might have various reasons, but I want to say that the true reason we sin is because we love our sin. There's no sin that we do that we do not love. And so the question we want really answered, I guess, in this retreat is that who or what is our true love? And if God is not a true love, what do I do? You know, in each of these sessions, uh, I want to ask you a question and I'll hopefully answer that through the session. And for this session, I've already asked you the question. You've done a pre-retreat survey and uh, we, we said the question, why are you here? So I'm going to just share my screen just for this brief moment. And as I do that, I don't know why not. Okay, all right. Oops. Okay, all right. So the question was asked, why do we, uh, why are we here? And uh, we had to ask, uh, we had to answer two of those questions. And 62% uh, of you said, I like learning and studying God's word and it engages me. And um, I want to grow. I have time and I want to use it for God. I have no idea well, what, what God wants me to do. And I wish to know, and I like to teach and be faithful role model. You know, uh, one of, I mean, all of the, there's no right or wrong answer in this, all right? So I just wanted to know, but it's good to ask that question, why are we here? Why are we taking this weekend off or taking this time during this weekend to, to, um, to have God speak to us? I, I think all of us, those of us who are Christians, we have this struggle, struggle of sanctification, this spiritual formation that we've been talking about, we've been taught is too slow. It's taking too long. And so we're kind of desperate. We want, we want to, um, you know, we want to, uh, let me just stop sharing the screen. Just give me a moment. Apologize for my distraction. Um, Okay, um, so, you know, it's too slow. So what, what do we do? How do I, uh, what, what is it, Lord? Why is it taking so long? I guess that's the, uh, that's the frustration that we have. And, um, and, I, and I want to call it the struggle of sanctification. We will talk about these uh, uh, over the four sessions, but I wanna just quickly pray with you before I start. And I wanna pray for two things. One is that we will have a listening heart. And second, that we will have a committed life that once we listen to it, we are committed 
to follow it. But let me, let me read to you the passage that we have before us before I pray. It's from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, as we spend time in your word, I pray that your spirit would be the teacher. Hide me and glorify Christ. We seek nothing else. Make our hearts attentive and transform our lives, Lord, as you renew, as our minds are renewed. We thank you for answering our prayers in Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So our key word for this session is charge. And I want to look at that first part. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And there are some words there which I want to define for us because if if we don't understand the word, we might interpret it wrong. And the biggest word for our retreat is the word transform, all right? So what does transform mean? That's, that's uh, something that we have to ask. Now, transform is about change of character or change in character. It's a change in the personhood as opposed to the pattern. The other word there is conform. Do not be conformed, but be transformed, right? So there seem to be those two polar opposites. Transform is about change as in person and conformity, we'll touch on this in, a, in another session, is change in pattern. Um, and, and, and so coming back to this transformation, transformation is the ultimate goal, isn't it? Uh, in your notes, I've, uh, I want you to follow that. Um, and it says transform, becoming C, becoming Christ-like. Nothing short of that. That's our desire. We want to be Christ-like. And we want to be transformed into his image. We're not transformers like the Marvel comics. I know that's their dad joke, but I don't know if you appreciate that. But uh, you know what happens as a transformer? It's just a change in the outside. We also don't want to confuse the word transform with sometimes in our English Bible, we have another, uh, another word that is used. And in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, 2 Corinthians 11, 4, we won't, uh, we won't look there, but really there it says that the devil changes himself or transforms himself into the angel of light. Now that word transform is not this word transform, all right? This is different because the angel does not change in his personhood to become the angel of light. He only appears on the outside. So even though the word is used, the meaning is not the same. The meaning here is the word metamorpho. And you've heard that before. And that's where we get the word metamorphosis, where the caterpillar becomes a butterfly, right? They're too different. It's irreversible. Caterpillar and butterfly are too different. That's what's happening. 
transforming, therefore, is this continuing part of salvation, of being saved. Now, the theologians would call it sanctification. You've heard this word again and again, and we'll dwell on this. We'll try and understand this word a little more today, all right, or over the next four sessions. Now, when we talk about continuing part of salvation, I, th I think it's important that we clarify that. Now, there are, there are aspects of your salvation, which is an event. It's a once for all, the regeneration of your soul, the being born again, the justification that we stand uh, righteous before, before God. It's a once for all event. And it's, a, it's an aspect of salvation where you have no contribution. You, there's nothing that you can do in that. But then there is an aspect of salvation, which we call sanctification, which is called the process. It's a process. It's a continuing event. It's ongoing and it's continuous. It's slow, but it's sure. It is frustrating, but it's foundational. It is painful, but it's promising. That is what all of this uh, uh, you know, when you have to define sanctification, you have to think about it. And, and this component, this aspect of salvation, you cooperate with God. Is that what? You to cooperate with God for salvation? Yeah, I want to use that word cooperate because, uh, you know, it's a struggle, right? Uh, we, we don't really want, want to cooperate because we, 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 we've got some sins that we haven't given up on. Because the sanctification process is about putting to death the remaining sin in us and to develop an affection and action for God. So there are two parts that are happening. Kill, modify the flesh, kill the sin, destroy the sin in our life and have affections for God. And that's a continuing process. I always considered it to be like the Genesis 3 opportunity every day. You know what happened in Genesis 3, right? And Adam and Eve had a choice. They had this choice to obey God or to reach out and take that forbidden fruit, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we get that opportunity every day once we become saved. Do I choose what I think is desirous? Because that's what Eve, she looked at it, she desired it, it was good for food. And we have to make our choices based on what we see to be good and desire, desiring, as opposed to what God is saying, right? So I have to kill this, modify it, and draw an affection for what God wants me to be. And that's, the, that's where I have to cooperate. Now, when I say cooperate, I want you to understand that uh, it's not entirely based on me. I'm not the one who's, um, who's doing the sanctification. Uh, you might also ask the question, if I don't cooperate, do I not get sanctified? Now, the Bible doesn't tell me what, what God, like how does God sanctify those people who are born again, who are uh, who are his, but live life which don't seem to match up. But two things that I see is that either death, he takes them away, or discipline. And, and so he forces them, therefore, to return back to him. But uh, more than that, it is, it is quiet. 
but it does tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, you see that on the screen. It says, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. And that, that is good. That is a good warning. Now, like I said, when you struggle in your sanctification, it does not mean that you're doing this on your own strength. I want to give you three verses that says how the triune God sanctifies. You'll see that in your screen for 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And um, if it doesn't come up on the screen, let me read that to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And it says, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see, Father sanctifies. And not just that Father sanctifies, we also see that it's, he's, he does it through the Spirit, by the Spirit. We read that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, which says, we are sanctified by the Spirit. And then it's done in the name of Christ. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. You were sanctified. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, let's say. So the triune God is the one who's taken on this responsibility to sanctify you, to make you Christ-like, right? So he is doing it, but he's saying you cooperate. We see that in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses um, 12 and 13. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. What? You're work out your own salvation? But fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Ah, see, what, what you're doing is what God's working, worked in you, you're working out. You're only making evident what God is already doing in you. So we, we cooperate in that sense that we, we give up of ourselves and we let God act and change us. I want you to understand that this transformation that we're speaking about is unique, right? It is unique. And so here are four truths that I want to talk to you about um, uh, transformation. And you can see that under B, unique characteristics of transformation. First, I want you to understand that biblical transformation is gradual. Now, when we talk about change, we talk about growth, there are different types of growth, there are different types of change. And uh, we need to understand what kind of growth do we see in, in transformation? The one kind of uh, growth is linear growth, that when it grows by the same amount, so your company might grow by 100,000 every year, right? So same amount, every year it's growing by a million, let's say. All right, so it's growing linear. But then if it is growing by the same rate, then it is exponential, right? Now, this is interesting. Uh, but text me if you know the answer. If I take this uh, 
Bible page, which is uh, less than 0.01 centimeters thick. If I double it, right? If I double it and keep uh, folding it in half and I keep doing that, how many times do you think I would have to fold before it gets uh, to the height from earth to moon? Any, any answers? Let me see the text go you know, crazy because, uh, because you know the answer, I guess. I don't know if you have an answer, but let me, let me just keep going. Send the text anyways, all right? But if I take that and I fold it once and I fold it 10 times, the thickness is one centimeters. By the time I fold it 17 times, it's four feet. And by the time I get to 25 folds, it's the height of the Empire State mm -hmm. Building. But by the time I get to 45 folds, it is the height of the earth to the moon. And if I fold it once more, it's back to the earth. So, you know, it's doubled it, right? So the exponential growth is the power of exponential growth. And sometimes we want that kind of growth, right? We want God give us revival. We just we want, you know, we we are too we, we're too impatient for the slow growth. But the truth of the matter is transformation is a life growth. It's a botanical growth. It is slow. It's a agriculture, the law of agriculture. If I sow a seed to today. Uh, it's going to take me some time before I can see it sprout and uh, much longer before it's going to bear fruit. So the life growth is much, much slow. I've got a question here. So I want you to go to Slido again. And on, the, uh, on, that, on that box there, type in CBF1, CBF1s. Uh, O N E C B S one C B F and I'll put it on the chat here C B F one and you'll have some you'll have a question there and um, it's also there if you don't have a computer or something in front of you or a phone or a smartphone you know you, you never thought you'd heard this in a church retreat or a church to get your smartphones out but here I am all right so assume you've got to meet the person you were. 10 years ago, would you notice any spiritual change in you? So you meet yourself, but who you were 10 years ago, would you see a spiritual change? Yes, no, maybe, I don't know. Are you kidding me? All right. So let me, let me share the screen. Okay. All right. Wow. 89% of you are saying yes. That's a that's beautiful. I mean, I, I just love that. Love when I hear such stories, right? And uh, maybe, no, 2%. I don't know. Are you kidding me? <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's cool. Okay, so I'm going to pause that here right now. And... Um, Okay, all right. So uh, I, I think it's um, it's good to ask that honest question, right? Because if there's no renewal, then there has not been any regeneration. 
If there's no renewal, there has been no regeneration. But if it is slow, then the biological growth is slow. And so I can, you know, we can say, yeah, it is imperceptible. And that's some of the things with the um, biological growth, right? You hardly see it. It's it's you, you can't really see it. Uh, it's internal, but it's inevitable. It will happen. That's the power of a biological life. Even when freshly laid concrete is laid out, you can see after a few days that there's a sapling or a plant that shoots out between the concrete, the power of biological growth. All right, and so, uh, so I, I want you to uh, understand this question that if you, this part, that if you don't see a change, I'm hoping that during this retreat, the clarity of it will come through to you. But so I want you to understand this one thing. The first thing that we saw about this biological growth is that it is slow, right? But I also want you to see that it's not personality-based. We are still in B. It's, it's not personality-based. What does that mean? And that's, that's important to understand. Uh, you know, you might be a soft-spoken person. You rarely get angry. You rarely get upset. And people might be thinking, wow, you became, you, you're a real transformed person. You're a real Christian. And I want to say, nah. That's maybe more personality rather than the work of the spirit. I've got a lot of friends. I've got friends who I pray for to God. They're such dear friends, so much better than me. And I pray, Lord, I don't want to come to heaven without them. Would you transform them? They are gentle. They are giving. They are sacrificial. They are all of that that puts me to shame. But it's their personality. It's who they are. It is works-based personality. It is not the fruit of the spirit. God is not satisfied till he sees his son reflecting in your life. So if, if you're just satisfied by being good on the outside, but it's really not transformation, then we have a problem. And so as that verse was put up in Isaiah 53, 11, which said that, right, out of the anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied. Christ died on the cross. He, 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 he took on that painful death so that there will be that change in you. I also want us to understand in that part that, you know, it might be a gifted person, uh, I, I'm going to pick on the uh, on the worship team or choir or whatever whatever you call it, uh, and it may not be true for you, but think about it. Many times we want to be part of the worship team because we love to sing, not because we want to serve God, not because we want to be sacrificial in our work and and serving God. So. Eventually what happens is you're serving yourself because you love to sing and you see you join the choir and your singing is not a sign of godliness. Your singing God might use to transform and to encourage someone else, but for yourself, it has to be a choice that you're going to make. That's the uniqueness of this transformation that I want you to no. And, then, and then there is also that 
tra transformation is not information related, related which means the, it doesn't mean that it, the fact that you know more or the Bible does not make you a transformed person. We, uh, you know, we could be digital intellects and yet spiritual bankrupts. We know we are Mr. Google, <laughs> Mr. Encyclopedia. I don't know what the term might be, but uh, you, we know a lot, but we're not being transformed. I don't know if you saw this uh, video uh, of, of the doubles at Wimbledon in 2017. Kim Clisters was about to serve on a double, um, double Wimbledon doubles match. And from the bleachers, from the, you know, the audience, uh, somebody shouts out, body serve. You know, so Kim Clister, she stops and calls him out and says, okay, come, come out from there. And Wimbledon has this rule that you cannot get on the court without wearing white. So Kim Clister gives him her, her skirt and her top and he dresses in there and tries to take the serve that Kim Clister gives. You see, there are, why I'm saying this is there are people shouting, sitting in the bleachers, thinking they know the Bible, shouting and screaming and telling everybody to do what they need to do, but they themselves are not playing. Oh, brothers, sisters, that's a dangerous place to be in. And so that's why I want to reaffirm this again and again about transformation. It is internal. It's not something you can do, but you cooperate with God. And that's important that we understand this distinction. Because the last one says it makes us strangers in the world. Makes us strangers. Not weird, not weird, weird, but godly weird. Right, it makes us that. You see, there's this increasing loss of taste for what the rest of the world continues to enjoy. That's what transformation does. An increasing loss of taste for what the rest of the world continues to love. World, as in, you know, the worldly system. So this conformity, it, it, this change is not conformity to fit in, but it's transformative that does not let you fit in. You see the difference? Conformity makes you want to fit in, but transformation makes it difficult for you to fit into this world system. And so therefore, Peter and in, in Hebrews 11 too, we are called exiles. We are called strangers in this world of whom the world was not worthy. That's what transformation does. But Let's get back to um, uh, get back to the um, uh, Slido, and okay. So I want you to answer this. This is the second one. Okay, while you're answering this, let me just get at it, right? I mean, I, I want you to understand that the spiritual discipline, the studying of the Bible, the prayer, the gospel outreach must always, always be a natural result of the transformation. It is not what you do that transforms you. It, it's what God does. I want you to understand transformation is not your work to God, but God's work in you. You get that? 
It's not you trying to now please God. Now he saved you. Oh God, I want to be sanctified. So I'm going to do all of these things so that I can, I can be sanctified. But no, God is going to do the work in you. So the real, the true answer in this is none. You, there's nothing that you can do to be saved. Okay. And, and so, um, uh, it's a little disappointing, right? <laughs> because uh, because the effort and the work that we are talking about is not so that it's not the frustration to having to bear the fruit, but the struggle of sanctification that we spoke about at the beginning is the surrender of our self and of our will. That when I, I I struggle to give up on my on my will, on the way I want to do things myself. That's the struggle. And as I give that and I give it and I say, God, you be the sovereign one in my life. As God works in me, I find, I will find God's word to be so precious. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a dear brother and it broke my heart. He says, the word of God is boring. My heart broke. If someone were to tell you that he calls himself a Christian, but he can't find God's word exciting, it's not alive. And if we are there, it doesn't matter if you plan to read the Bible the whole, you know, once through the whole, uh, once a year. But if there's no transformation, if God is not your true love, if God is not who you have fallen in love with, then all of that is just wasted effort. It shall always be a result, not the, not the other way. So this transformation is slow. We said, you know, the verse that will come up on the screen is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And uh, where, where we see that as we uh, see as we look at Christ, he changes us from one degree of glory to uh, another. So it's, it's one step. To, so what I'm asking you to ask yourself is, are you seeing at least this one degree change? This one degree change. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what transformation is all about. But we still got some uh, to go. And... Um, uh, the word, the next word, the word that I really want to also see is the word beseech, beseech. It says beseech, right? Um, uh, beseech is that we will, we will choose willingly. We saw that this about willingly. It is, it is not a command. Uh, the, um, uh, Paul is not using uh, imperative. He's actually beseeching you. He's asking you to follow God's heart not to follow your own. I, you know, that, that, that has been one of my biggest learning. You know, the world will keep telling you, follow your heart, follow your heart. You want to do something, follow your heart. But God is saying, you see, we read that in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine, that heart is deceitful and desperately sick. So don't follow your heart. <laughs> it's deceitful. It'll tell you this was right, but that is not right. Something else is right, you see? So you have to follow God's 
heart. And that is what Paul's beseeching you here. And the word he uses there is paracleo. It's the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit, but the who comes alongside para, as in, you know, para ministry, paralegal, coming alongside, right? And that is what the church has been asked to do. This episode is addressed to the church and, and this retreat and this two by twos that you have later is all reinforcing this fact that on your own, we tend to listen to our hearts, which is deceitful and desperately wicked. And so I need somebody to come alongside that God would use, who would be the paracleo to me so that I can choose what is right. I can choose what is right. Then goes on to say, brothers, therefore, brothers. And that word therefore suggests, if you want to write implication, suggests implication. So the word therefore is very powerful. This passage that is taken is like the watershed. It's like the turning point, the hinge, if you would. Chapters 1 to 11, Paul is talking about doctrine. He's talking about all the beautiful things that God has done and all the power that is that has been used uh, to bring you to life. You know, the, the same power that was raised, uh, that was um, that was uh, that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that works in you, as we read in the episodes. But now, this therefore, after because chapter 12 to 16 is about discipline. So you have doctrine and you have discipline. And this therefore is that hinge. Now, doctrine must follow discipline. Doctrine must follow discipline. If you just have doctrines, if you just study, 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 know every part of the theology well, and you've done all that, but you haven't lived it, you don't have the discipline to live it, then it's dead orthodoxy. I mean, uh, you're anemic. You're, you, you're not being the Christian that God's called you to be. But if you have all the discipline, like you, you've read the Bible three times, uh, in a year, you know, once in three months, and that's, you know, that's something that people are doing. Um, uh, and you, you, you pray for an hour and you have all the disciplines, but it is not hooked on to this regeneration. It's not based on the foundation of this beautiful doctrine that Romans speaks about, about the, about how wretched we were, how dead we were in our sins. We were, the wages of sin is death, but now we've been saved. There's no condemnation to them who are Christ Jesus. If, if you just do discipline without doctrine, then it's mere moralism. It is just trying to be good. It's just that cattle, cattle goes, right? Being good for, for goodness sake. One of the things that we, we've been very intentional as a church, especially at Sunday school, is that when we do our uh, Bible stories, our focus is not what I remember what we were taught, right? Dare to be a Daniel or be wise like Solomon or be strong like Samson. Because then that's all moralism, right? If I, as daring as Daniel, or if I'm wise as Solomon, then I have to choose also the things that Solomon did, probably marry a thousand wives, but that's, you know, we don't do that. So the heroes are not the Bible characters, it's Jesus. So 
we tell the story, but we have to lead them on to Christ. He is the one who we want them to grow into Christ-likeness, not Daniel-likeness or Solomon-likeness or Samson-likeness, Christ-likeness. We, we speak about the narrative. We speak about the redemptive story from there and to see how God works in the lives of those people. But the story, the light is always focused on Jesus Christ. And so that is what Paul is saying, therefore, brothers, therefore, and now the word br brothers, the word brother used there as Adelphi, or it, it means from the same womb. <laughs> That's, it's a very powerful, it's a very beautiful expression, but it means it's exclusive. That means all of this can be true only to those who believe in Jesus Christ, to, to whom this chapters 1 to 12 has been real. If these chapters are not real to you, then I think you have missed the boat. Then you have mercies of God. Then you have the mercies of God, right? The, the, the interesting part about this mercies of God is that uh, it's always in plural. And he's talking about all of that in chapters 1 to 11, about the many things that God has done. Now, this, um, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you might want to, think through what are some of these mercies of God. Uh, one of the assignments that you had was to read through the book of Romans. And you, you would have seen many times what these mercies of God, what like some of the things that God has done, right? That's the beautiful part. And, and the one that gets my heart always is Romans 8, 32, which says, and he spared not his son. Oh, well, how beautiful that is. He spared not his son, but sent him to die for me, a sinner, for you, a sinner. That's what he did. And so no wonder Paul breaks out, as we see in the screen, Romans chapter 11, 33 to 36, he breaks out in this crescendo, in this, in this like he can't contain himself. That is what, when we understand the mercies of God, the truth of God, when we know all of this, the, the, the such joy, we realize that what am I doing fooling myself with things that, you know, I, I think, you know, that the, the thing that looks good and desirable is actually good, like, but God has said no, and, and why am I fooling myself to be caught up by God? That's That's so, so, so gripping. What do you understand when you say mercies of God that it's, he doesn't owe it to you, right? He doesn't. It's just the mercies of God. And so therefore the charge, we, 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 you know, we read that verse. We said we, but, you know, we, we said, uh, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God. But now I want you to hear the intensity. Now when you read it, I want you to understand why Paul is saying like, I could have commanded you, of course, I can command you. But then if you really fully understand what, what all this has been saying, chapters 1 to 11, then, then man, I, I don't even have to command. I can just, I can just you know, ask you to think, consider, appeals. He appeals to us. So I want you to think this over. Only those, only those who have basked themselves in the mercies of God will count it worthy 
to struggle in sanctification. If you think sanctification is a struggle and not worth it, then you probably haven't fully understood the mercies of God. But if you have, then you'll realize that, oh, this is, this is, this is enough, oh Lord, this is enough, this is what I need. And so our group, I don't know how many people are listening to me, but um, this group can be divided into two. The first group is the cultural group. Now I've got that there, you know, cultural and carnal. I got that. Cultural are those who have never experienced the cleansing and never regenerated. And so therefore they won't experience the renewal that we're gonna talk about in the next session. They've gotten themselves wet on the outside, but they're dry on the inside. They're probably the ones of, to whom the Lord will say, as you see on the screen, Matthew 7, 23, I never knew you. Now, please to God that none of you listening to me are any of those, that we haven't fooled yourself, you haven't deceived yourself. But that you're a consecrated one, you, you would say, God, I understand what you have for me, your plans for me, your will for me is far superior than anything. So I seek you, nothing else, nothing else, Lord, nothing else. And so you, you know who you are, whether you are the cultural Christian in a Bonner Christian family, got saved at the age of three, got baptized at the age of 12, ready to get married at age 20 or whatever it is, right? You, you, you got your ducks in a row. Everything is looking good. People look at you and says, wow, he is, he, he is very godly. But inside of you, the Spirit of God has been tugging at your heart, saying that, ah, my brother, my sister, has been tugging at you, isn't it? I pray that by the time we go through this retreat, that if you have fooled yourself, you would not be the one um, who will walk away, but will surrender your life. You know, Medically, if someone's unresponsive, what they try to do is to move them into a recovery position. And our prayer this time would be moving ourselves into a recovery position so that nothing's blocked, nothing comes in the way. And that you can hear and be attentive and listen to God's word. Let me just pray in our close. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you speak it on the hearts of people, Lord. We pray that your name be glorified. We pray, O oh Lord, that, um, that your spirit will continue to convict us of the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that, um, that if they have been stirred in their heart and they, they're just feeling guilty, that they would not stop at that. Guilt is not what you want us to feel, but Lord, conviction. And so I pray for conviction, Lord. So I thank you again for all the heads that are bowed and for the work of grace that you're doing in these lives. We thank you. We love you in Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen. Amen.